During the summer, I was reflecting on one September 36 years ago, a September in which I was euphoric because for the first time after attending school for 20 years and always going back to school in September, on that particular one, I didn't go back to school. I had graduated. I was finally finished. And instead of going back to the routine and the boredom of just always getting trained, prepared to do something, I now went into the marketplace and did what I was trained to do. I'll never forget the emotion. And it came back to me this summer as I was preparing our messages on the Sermon on the Mount and realized that Christ's message here on the Mount offers a challenge similar to what I felt that first September, a challenge to each of us, a challenge to those of us who have been attending worship and classes in this church for years. Some of you have been here longer than I have, been to hundreds of worship services, been to every kind of class and small group. It's a challenge to those who have been learning and learning and learning. And the challenge is this. School's out. And the hour is late. And the need in the secular world for what we have been trained to do and to give is critical. And it's time for us to graduate and go to work. I want this year for us to understand that the primary task of the Christian, if we could boil Christianity down to its essence, the classes, the Bible, the orthodox, the theology, everything boils down to one point. You have been trained, equipped, empowered to go and love people out there who are wounded, hurt, and beat up with the love you've received from Jesus. Now, I need to give a little uh, PS here. These messages today and for the first few weeks will be addressed to people who've been in this church for years. And I'm aware some of you are just brand new. Maybe you're not even in the church. You're here doubting, wondering what in the world's going on. You don't even talk our language. But maybe you're burned up, uh, burned up, beat up, wounded, searching, empty. I want to tell you it's okay to be where you are and to journey with us. And that this sermon is not necessarily for you yet. Because we want to do for you what I'm urging the graduates to do for the world out there. We want to love you in whatever condition you're in, whatever your need is. Uh, just listen and understand we're preparing to do for you. And then when it's done for you, we hope you'll be able to go and give that away. You see, we call this place a hospital for sinners, not a house of saints. That's who we are. But do you realize what kind of a hospital would it be if nobody ever got well? There comes a time for us to get out of bed, walk out the door, and, and use our wholeness back in the marketplace. And that's what I'm saying. Some of us have been in bed too long. We keep getting too many transfusions, too much medicine, and we just kind of like being in the hospital, and that's really sick. So the challenge is, we're hoping that we're gonna get out of the hospital and go into the world. And, and, and this sermon is so simple, because Jesus is simple. We're asking if you wanna mature in Christ and take everything about Christianity and put it on one target, we're asking you to change your priorities so that on any given day, no matter what other Pressing issues are upon you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, your primary agenda will always be to love someone as you have been loved by Jesus so that you can be his vehicle, his instrument out in the world of healing others as you've been healed. My study this summer has led me to our theme for this next year, Becoming Contagious Christians. I love the title. I borrowed it from Bill Heibel's book, a book that's available in our office and soon will be at our tape, off, uh, tape window. And it's one I hope you will read. It's for people ready to graduate. It has convinced me of the central importance of caring for people as the primary task of the Christian. 
I felt, as you did, maybe deep admiration for Muhammad Ali when he courageously lit the Olympic torch in spite of his disease. And I couldn't help contrast the very bold Ali during his boxing days to where he was at that position during the Olympics. But you know, I was even more impressed behind the scenes as the media stressed how he boldly distributed literature about his Islamic faith to anyone who would listen. And I thought, if we would be contagious Christians in our kind of world, we need that same kind of fervency. I don't want you to hand out tracts. I don't even think we ought to carry a Bible or try to stuff scripture down people's throats. But I do know something that does work to a callous, skeptical group of people out there. And that is if we really care for them as we have been cared for. We, we, we surprise them by taking an interest in them, really an interest and not just a shallow, how are you? That impresses people with our faith. It's letting people know they matter to us, as Jay said last week, they matter to us because they matter to God. And I need to tell you, becoming a contagious Christian will be costly. It's always hard to leave the comfort of school and go out into the world, the hospital and go out into the world. One elder, when I told her what our theme was, said, you know, Walt, it's going to take a miracle for our congregation to get our agendas off of self and focus on others. We better do a lot of praying. I totally agree with her. She's right. We're not talking this year about simply joining a new program, attending another class, although all of those are important. We're talking for those who have already done that and been there to now get a heart change and go out and be for others what Jesus has been for us. To let Jesus be reproduced in our lives. That's what makes the church come alive. That's what orthodoxy, evangelicalism, and all the stuff that we associate with being a good Christian is all about. Now, with that as an introduction, that brings us to our text. Because it describes a lifestyle that's totally impossible to live and to do apart from the grace of Jesus. Everything I've just said we all agree with and we can't do apart from grace. The text reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have realized their utter helplessness to meet the demands of love. And therefore who put their whole trust in Jesus and his grace. First, what does Jesus mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit. My staff gave me a hard time by mistake. The sermon title, Poor in Spirit, was put out on the marquee there. And it just said, poor in spirit. And they were quick to say, that's really going to bring a lot of people to church. You know, that's really a hot subject. Uh, we don't even know what it means. Poor in spirit's foreign to our culture. You see, as we learned last summer in the Olympics, America loves winners. And as General Patton said, we hate losers. Finishing first, getting the gold is all that matters. The silver and the bronze don't cut it. Remember that one guy that got the bronze, stepped off the podium and tore it off? He says, I only wanted the gold. That's who we are. Now here's the surprise. Jesus said, God will reward the gold that really matters, the heavenly gold, to surprising people and not necessarily to the winners in our culture. He said, it'll be rewarded to those who are poor in spirit. To those who've discovered that no matter how hard we work and discipline ourselves, we're not making it when it comes to living the Christian life. Even though we've been in church 30 years, we can't measure up to the Sermon on the Mount in our own strength. It will be rewarded to those then who are desperate for an intervention of God in their lives, if anything more is going to happen. And that's exactly where I came down this summer. 
I come back from my 23rd year desperate for an intervention of God to get us beyond thinking Christianity is limited to building this huge church and making our budgets and going to classes and packing out the sanctuary. That's the school. That's the hospital. But we must go out and do it out there. That's why Jesus created the church. And it will take a divine intervention to get us off of ourselves and on this agenda of caring for people. And until we do, we're not being the church of Jesus Christ. Our Lord illustrates this truth in the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. In contrast to the pride, the self-righteousness, the orthodoxy, the self-sufficiency of the Pharisee, who's bragging to God about his achievements and saying, Lord, look what I've done. Look who I am. The poor in spirit publican is just confessing, God, I can't even begin to do what you demand, even though I want to. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus does what he so often does. He, he surprises us. He tells us when we finally stop bragging to God and trying to impress him and, and, and work so hard at pleasing him, and we when we stop holding out our achievements before him and become aware of how far we're missing the goals, even though we're church attenders, the goals outlined in this sermon, when we realize we need divine grace to ever break with our addictions to self, to winning, possessing, and consuming, which is the virus of our culture, when we realize that Christianity is not about achieving and being good and then being rewarded by God, but it's about trusting and receiving divine grace we know we don't deserve. And when we realize that caring for people is the goal of Christianity, not using Jesus to advance our goals of this culture, then Jesus says, blessed are you. I come back from the summer convinced we're ready for our Lord's message. Some of us are really ready to get out of bed, to get out of the classroom and put our faith into the action. And action is so simple. It's not complicated. It's not a program. It's simply going out one-to-one -one and loving a person that Jesus brings into our life as we have been loved. But here the challenge of the text hits us head on. Only God can make us lovers of people rather than lovers of self, no matter how much we want to change. Beginning with me, we are addicted to our own security, to our own interests, to our own pain. We're too much in love with money and what it buys. We're too wrapped up in our own needs. We're too busy. That's the honest facts. And that's why we never get around to the primary business of Christianity. And that's why the world out there kind of looks at us and laughs. Humiliating, of course. But imagine if we had a Pentecost experience where God takes people like us and visits us with the Holy Spirit and changes our hearts to the point that we become passionately committed to caring for others as Jesus has cared for us and we understand that's the primary purpose of life. God is love and those who love are of God. And Jesus summed up all of the commandments and all of Christianity into this go love others as I have loved you and then they'll know you're my disciples. What an impact the peninsula would feel from us. I want us to be known as a church, not big, not rich, not powerful, but as a church of people who go there that when they attend MPPC, those people just love. There's something about them. That's what we want because that's what Jesus wants. And that leads us then to the next part of the text. People in spirit can afford to be honest 
We don't have to pretend. We know our only hope to ever become lovers of people is dependent upon a divine intervention that changes our hearts. If we don't get that, the sermon is going to be totally meaningless. A person poor in spirit can be honest about our selfishness, our temptations, our failures, about our inability to love. And as we learn from the story of the Pharisee and publican, Jesus affirms honesty and he warns against pride. He doesn't want us to pretend to be holy. He doesn't want this place to be a house of saints where people who are all dirty don't feel at home because we're all equally in need here. He doesn't want us to lay out our achievements before God. And that's why we say over and over again, this church is a hospital for sinners. To be poor in spirit is to be honest. <clears throat> it's not to be less than we are. It's to confess our need for Christ's help to become all God destined us to be. And that insight allows us to be honest about our desperate need for God's strength if we're ever going to go out and care for at least one person beyond ourselves. The hymn writer said it this way, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You know, if you think about it, Happily, people outside our faith really don't expect us to be perfect. They just want us to be honest about our struggles, our failures, and they want us to be honest about our inability to really love them. And even if we goof it in the process of trying to care for them, if we're honest and we're saying, you know, I didn't do it very well this time, but maybe by God's help I'll do it better later, they can handle that. What they can't handle is phoniness. Open, honest dependence upon Jesus as the source for the love we seek to share. That creates the new breed of believer we call the contagious Christian. I, I, I need to say this. Why is it so important that we're honest? Well, we live in a generation, and I don't know if you, for the summer, I'm kind of sitting outside the church looking in. I wonder if we realize how people view us. My, my son was with some dental students of, that he's in school with, and they sat down for dinner, and uh, one of them, they were talking about religion, and one of them said, you know, Christians are comical. And I thought that was kind of a put down. But here's a guy looking in, and they see Christians through the media, and there they are. We see preachers all sweaty, walking back and forth, giving their message, usually knocking people who they think are terrible sinners out in society. Society views us as, as elite, as caustic, as judgmental, as holier than thou, as a holy club that if you aren't clean and don't look good and measure up, you can't come. All you have to do is look at television. I did this summer. And it's humiliating when you really think what Jesus is being portrayed at in our society. People are skeptical. They're not impressed with what we do here. But I, you know, I'm thankful for what God does in this church, but if you ever walk by here on a Sunday and you're not here, and here we all are gathered in, and as I told my elders, people don't give a rip out there about what's happening in here. And you know what will change their mind? One thing. And that is if we take what we're doing here and go out and touch them one-to-one -one in a caring, loving way as we have been touched by Jesus Christ. That's where it, the rubber meets the road. And until we do that, we won't impact a skeptical society out there. That's hard to hear. But I think our primary task this year is to destroy the stereotype Satan himself has created of Jesus through Christians or those at least who take his name. We are not hate groups. We're not here to say, you have to be in this camp and agree politically with me, morally with me in order to come here. 
Anybody's welcome. And if you want something exciting, look at who Jesus associated when he was here. I got shook up this summer when I looked how far we are from him. He was spent his time with tax collectors, adulterers. He was a partier. He was a, accused of being a glutton and a drinker. He spent his time with the wounded. And we, his church, get all dressed up and keep it right here. And the year has come to go and graduate and take it out there. And if we don't, we'll continue to be comical to the people we want to reach. I believe that. I don't view it as a put down. I view it as a challenge. But then finally, how does one become poor in spirit? The process begins by giving Jesus our possessions, our birthright, our education, our profession, our intelligence, our personality, and everything else upon which we're tempted to depend. And we say to him, I'm yours. Anything I accomplish or possess is for your glory. You gave it to me. Now use it. Let my life become more than successful. Help me to get beyond winning in this culture. Make me a lover of others at any cost rather than a lover of self. Get me ready for heaven. I don't know of a Christian poor in spirit who has not gone through the valley of brokenness, an experience that breaks confidence in everything but God. And this process of being broken, emptied, and refilled produces the contagious believer. We might not be fully educated, but we know that knowledge is only a tool for God to use, not a basis for pride and dominance, superiority over others. We might have wealth, but this person knows he owns nothing. He's a manager, not an owner, a maintenance person, not a proprietor. A person poor in spirit might be loaded with personal talent, but knows he or she is nothing more than a branch connected to the vine. And without Jesus, we're nothing. I can tell you today, I knew this sermon would not get past the chancel unless Jesus does it. And I can tell you, you will stumble and fall on your face in any attempt to love in his name unless Jesus does it. And you have to get emptied and be totally convinced you can't love in your own strength. Then he can equip you to go out and do a miracle one-to-one -one with people. Oswald Chambers wrote, God has to bring us to the end of our self-sufficiency before he can use us. It's not a question of our equipment, but of our poverty. It's not what we bring with us, but of what God puts in us. God uses those who know their poverty, I add, their inability to love. He can do nothing with the person who thinks he can be of use to God. The most we can offer God is to maintain an intimate relationship with him. As we embark on this theme for the year, I need to tell you, it's the road less traveled. The world out there is becoming increasingly isolated. We're becoming a gated community. We're becoming just insulated from each other. And we're hearing the command of Christ to go out and break through that indifference and isolation. But you know, the good news is Jesus says there's great rewards for becoming poor in spirit, loving others. We get the kingdom of God. Jesus says the poor in spirit will inherit blessedness and joy and peace and fulfillment. Everything everybody out there is trying to buy and search for and achieve some other way. Jesus says, I'll give it to you if you'll simply make yourself available for me to use to love others. And you know, best of all, someday when we stand before God, we're going to hear an, uh, an evaluation of our performance on earth. And Jesus said it'll be rather an embarrassing time because some of the people we thought will be at the front of the line will be in back and the guys in the back will be in front. And God will put the gold around the necks of the most unlikely people. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you did the one thing that matters in this life. You went out and loved as you were loved by me. So we start another year. Let's go to work. School's out, 
As a beginning, ask God to just identify, don't make it complicated, one person, that one individual that you feel you need to get connected to, walk with, and love until the wound is healed, the hurt is met. And maybe, maybe if you take an interest in them, one day they'll ask, what makes you tick? Who is this Jesus? And at that point, you tell them about Jesus. I want our community to know Jesus is alive and well at MPPC. And if there's one word that characterizes our church, it won't be judgment, it won't be our stands on issue, it won't be our holiness, it'll be the way we love as Jesus loved. That's the reputation I covet for us. We can't do it, but God can, and I'm convinced he's going to this year. Would you bow in prayer with me? Lord, it's so hard for us to understand that Christianity boils down to love, and from it comes holiness, dedication, orthodoxy, and all these other things. And even as we've heard this message, we know it won't sink in unless your spirit puts it there. Please do and start with me. And may we find even a person here today right in the congregation we can reach out to and make their day different because we cared. In Jesus' name, amen.